This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello and welcome. I'm Carmen Pay, your host for this podcast. One of the most exciting passages in Scripture for those longing for Christ to make all things right in this world is the prophetic vision given to John, recorded in Revelation 19, 11 through 14. It says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Verse 16 says, And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, today we'll be discussing the events leading up to the second coming of Christ, when Christ returns with his saints as a prelude to setting up his millennial kingdom here on earth. Here to help guide us through this discussion is Dr. Dave Anderson, founder and president of Grace School of Theology. Dr. Anderson is a graduate of Rice University, received a master's in theology from Dallas Theological Seminary, earned a Ph.D. in Greek New Testament and early Christian literature from Dallas Seminary. He has authored numerous books, including Triumph Through Trials, Portraits of Righteousness, Maximum Joy, and Bewitched, among others. Dr. Anderson, welcome back. Well, thank you so much. Great to be here as usual. Well, I'm so glad to have you. You know, last week we talked about the rapture, Christ coming for his saints uh, here on earth, and, and, and also that that would be before a time of tribulation on earth, the likes of which the world has never seen. But unlike the rapture, which we determined is imminent, there are no prophecies yet to be fulfilled before that event happens— it's a little different story when we talk about the second coming of Christ. It seems there are prophecies yet to be fulfilled and even a timetable that could be followed if you were, so to speak, left behind uh, after the rapture. First of all, why do you think God chose to outline these specific events uh, when his church is not even going to be here during that time period? Well, probably a lot of different reasons. We said that tribulation period is the last period of seven years of the 490-year period that God had for the Jewish people. And there will be a remnant coming out of the Jews left on the earth after the rapture. But so much of that period is, is uh, tied to the Jews and to uh, sort of break their pride so that they will see a need for a Savior. You know, I'm uh, a couple, about a month leading another tour of Israel. I've been over 20 times. And uh, when I first started going in the early 90s, uh, Israel was 90% secular. 10% were what they call religious Jews. The rest were secular. Uh, when Moshe Dayan came in in the 67 war and uh, took Jerusalem, he gave the Temple Mount 
as an olive branch to the Arabs. And uh, he just didn't care about it. He wasn't a religious person. Uh, so that's still true today, although because the religious people don't pay taxes, because they're supported by welfare and don't serve in the military, uh, uh, that has swelled now to 20% of the people. You can see why. Oh, wow. But I have a friend there who says if it ever hits 30%, uh, things will go haywire because the people won't stand stand for it. You know? mm-hmm. 30% of the people not working. Not working. Not serving in the military. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's a time where the Jews who are left behind uh, can see what's happening. I think during the first three and a half years, the two witnesses of Revelation 11 are... Uh, preaching from perhaps the Temple Mount. Uh, And during that time, we don't know how many, but many, many scores of thousands of Jewish people will trust Christ as their Savior. Those then are the people who flee when the Antichrist comes in. Because he says, and Jesus says in Matthew 24, when you see the abomination of the desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, notice he didn't say Daniel the historian, Yes. said, Daniel, the prophet, take off, get out of Dodge, because he's going to try to kill all of you. So uh, it gives them something to go by. I think it's also another chance for people who haven't trusted Christ when, uh, I'm talking about Gentiles. Yes. Because he sends out 144 Jewish witnesses to the world, and they go around leading the Gentiles to Christ all over the world. Uh, so it's a time for them. And uh, there's a lot of uh, positive things that actually happen during the tribulation period. Well, I, I was thinking about all the many, many Bibles. <laughs> you know, every every home we all have we have more than one for sure. Uh, so certainly, you would think that there would be some uh, Gentiles and Jews who would be looking at those at the Word at that time. Uh, it's just uh, when they when they begin to think, well, maybe there was something to what they said, what they told us before. But when you think about the removal of all the Christians from the earth in a twinkling of an eye, as Scripture talks about, that obviously is going to be a dramatic intervention in human history. Uh, We uh, could spend hours (laughs) talking or imagining what that would be like. But what might the world expect as far as demonic or satanic activity during that time period? Well, uh probably the greatest demonstration of demonic activity ever on earth because during the last half of the tribulation uh, you have you know you know trib- the book of revelation is what we call apocalyptic literature uh, so it uses a lot of symbols but you have these locusts coming out uh, mm-hmm. and people think you know those actually might be demons uh, and says here that um I saw three, this is uh, Revelation 16, verse 12, uh, well, verse 13. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So that's your unholy trinity, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth in the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So uh, there's all sorts of satanic activity yeah. that will be going on during the tribulation period. It talks about also in uh, 
a second that's too about a great lie mm -hmm. that's going to be perpetrated on the earth from well the antichrist and uh, uh, yeah. inspired i would think by satan uh, i think the antichrist is a charismatic world leader until he's possessed by satan in the middle of the tribulation that's when he goes into Jerusalem, stops the sacrificing. He's the abomination of desolation. And then he sets up his own image and declares himself dictator of the world. And then according to Ezekiel, in response to that, Russia comes down to try to stop that. And the Battle of Armageddon is not a, um, uh, a single gathering at the Valley of Jezreel. It's a three-and-a-half-year campaign. It starts when Russia comes down in opposition to the leader of the West, declaring himself dictator of the world. Wow. It's, uh, it's just uh, fascinating, too, when we see what's going on in the world today. We can see how countries can come together in opposition of what is right, what is good, and certainly against uh, Christ. And uh, so it's, it's all, we can just get a glimpse, even today, how all of this could take place. Well, you know, it may surprise some Christians... Uh, listening to know that after the rapture, there will still be a professing church on earth. Uh, what can we assume, if anything, about the doctrine of these unbelievers uh, who still come together probably for Sunday morning uh, uh, worship or praise? Uh, what kind of doctrine do we, would, false doctrine, obviously, would we uh, see fitting in to what, what would become maybe a one world church? Well, uh, part of it could be professing Christianity. I mean, uh, churches or groups within those who call themselves Christians today who simply don't believe in a substitutionary atonement of Christ, who don't believe the scriptures are inspired, just the product of men. So they don't believe the miracles. So they would take out the resurrection of Christ Okay. And, of course, Paul says, if you don't believe in that, 1 Corinthians yeah. 15, there's no reason to go to church. Right, you know? right. Uh, so they take out all the miracles of Christ, deny his deity. And, and that leaves you as someone who isn't justified before God. So uh, that's it. You know, Satan's attack from the beginning on Eve and Adam was to undermine the word of God. Mm -hmm. He said, God didn't really say that, did he? Right. <laughs> and he, so he... he Denied God's word, he distorted God's word, he twisted it. Well, that attack hasn't changed. Um, in fact, uh, if you go on through the scriptures, his main attack is still against the scriptures. And then the world comes in and does its work with the lust of the eye, lust mm -hmm. of the flesh, and pride of life. Same as it did with Eve. Uh, Eve was taken down in two rounds. It was tag team wrestling. First round was Satan, hit her with three blows and his attack on God's word. Then he hopped out of the ring, and in came the world. She saw it was good for food, make her wise. Right, right. Lust of life, lust of flesh, pride of life. And the world knocked her out. So, uh, back to your question. Uh, the part of Christendom uh, that's going to be part the church on earth after the rapture would be those people, I think, who've denied uh, many of these things we've talked about. The other thing, though, is that uh, there's a move toward uh, inclusivism mm -hmm. and even universalism, uh, both by the Catholic Church and by some Protestants. Um, uh, 
that would wrap their arms around the Muslim brothers, you know. And in order to have a universal, a one-world church, you've got to make um, some compromises somewhere. You would have to, yeah. yes. And um, I don't know that we can name exactly what those will be or who all will be included. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a little hard for me to see all the Buddhists suddenly joining Christianity or all the Hindus, but uh, uh, the church itself does uh, appear to be united. And, and I, I wonder sometimes if that's uh, just politically. In other words, mm-hmm. that it's demanded. This is the world church, and it's also our poli- it's our government oh. as well. I, I've often wondered that, or if truly people do come together uh, to to uh, worship together in the same spirit. <laughs> I don't, well, I, but, I would question the latter, but your yes, former could yeah. be that it's mandated. That that's possible. That maybe it's mandated. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow, not a good time, certainly. Well, for Israel following the rapture, the story is, is a little bit different. You touched on this some last week. Does the Bible give us indication of a coming revival of Jews? Uh, and what does it tell us about their change of heart about Jesus uh, during those seven years? Well, it does say that, as Jesus predicted, they will invite him back. And so we've mentioned last week that uh, he won't come back until they ask him to come back. So that's his prediction. But even back in the Old Testament, you have Isaiah, you've got Micah, you've got so many passages that talk about God or Christ, the Messiah, coming back. And it's coming back for his people, the Jewish people. So I mean, there's, there's definitely indication way back then regarding him and the seed of Abraham. Now, the New Testament makes it clear that not all Israel is Israel. So just because you have a lineage back to Abraham doesn't mean you spend eternity with God. You also need to receive the Savior yes. that's provided. And then you become true Israel, mm. as the Scripture talks about. Uh, so there's, there's a ton of stuff about the Jews. Uh, even in Revelation 7, you've got uh, 12,000 Jews from each tribe uh, of Israel. Which is kind of interesting because I think only God could track those tribes because 10 of them were lost, meaning assimilated, intermarried. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, there are no genealogical records there. And even the the other two tribes, when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, all the genealogical records were destroyed. Mm. So uh, I think some of them can trace themselves back, but they had to keep a personal record. Yes. There's no official courthouse you can go down and you know, pull out your genealogy. But like you say, God knows. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And again, uh, uh, you've got uh, Matthew 24, where it predicts lots and lots of Jews coming and then fleeing. Mm-hmm. You've got Revelation 13, where he's trying to kill them. So there, there's a lot in there about the Jewish people mm-hmm. and about his judging them. Ezekiel uh, yes. 20 talks about when he comes back, he will. Uh, the Jews will have to pass under the rod. Mm. to get back in the land. So that pictures Christ as a shepherd, yes. and he'd hold out a rod through which his sheep would pass to get into the sheepfold. Mm-hmm. And so he'll do that with uh, Jews external to Israel. So about half the Jews in the world live in Israel now. Uh, not quite, but about half. And so many, many will come to Christ, uh, we think, outside of Israel, and they'll want to come back to the Holy Land. So to get in... They have to pass under the rod. 
So there's it, a lot, a lot about the Jews. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, lots of lots of things. And that, they are coming, by the way. When I first uh, went to Israel in '92, uh, there were five, I think, Messianic congregations. Those are congregations where Jewish people, uh, by race, have received Christ as their savior. Now there are 120. 120. It's so amazing. encouraging. Yeah. Well, and it just speaks to what the Bible tells us will happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's beautiful. Well, obviously, time doesn't permit us to go into depth about all of the events that are going to take place between the rapture and the second coming. But, but there are some significant things for those who perhaps would be left behind because they've not trusted Christ and their Savior, uh, that they could perhaps recall these foretold events. Uh, and and you, you touched on one briefly, but the, the revival of the Roman Empire is, is one. Mm-hmm. Uh, could, you, could you touch on uh, and the rise of the Antichrist? Yeah, sure. Yes. Well, uh, you know, when I first became a Christian in the mid-60s, it wasn't too long after that that Hal Lindsey came out with his book, Late Great Planet Earth. And so the Western power that out of which the Antichrist will come was betrayed by him and most people after him who taught prophecy as uh, what we now call the European Union. And so they'd say, well, the Ten Nation Confederacy is what it was called. Mm-hmm. And they have to c- come together in some sort of association. And then an 11th one wants to join, and three of the ten resist. That 11th one pushes out the three. This is all back in Daniel. And you wind up with eight. But the leader of the 11th becomes the leader of the whole thing. Well, uh, John Walvoord, who was a prophecy expert, wrote a book, I think, Oil Crisis in the Middle East. And uh, he reminded everyone that the Roman Empire wasn't just Europe. It went way east. Mm-hmm. And it included Iraq. It included all, went all the way to Susa, I believe, not too far from India. Mm-hmm. And then it was also northern Africa, and all down in there. So he said uh, most of the Roman Empire was Muslim. I mean, not at the time of Christ, because that didn't exist. Yes. But most... Uh, of the old countries, territories of the Roman Empire uh, are Muslim. So he suggested that the uh, Antichrist will come out of the Muslim countries. Now there's a passage that kind of supports that, um, and a a book has actually been written on it, as have so many books about prophecy. But this is in Micah, uh, chapter 5, right after the prediction of um, Jerusalem, as being, uh, excuse me, not Jerusalem, as Bethlehem as being the birthplace of the Savior, comes a promise of the Messiah and then the Antichrist. So he says in Micah 5, 2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from the old, from everlasting. And that's, of course, how the wise men knew where to go. And uh, right. uh, was, there was this prophecy about Bethlehem. Bethlehem's only five miles from Jerusalem. It's not very mm-hmm. far at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, ta- he says, therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in the labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. He sh- so here's more prophecies about the, the Jewish people. 
shall return the children of Israel. He shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, etc. Then in verse 5 it says, oh, and this one will bring peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land, when he treads in our places, palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princely men, and they shall waste with the sword the land of Assyria, the land of Nimrod at its entrances. Thus he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and when he treads within our borders. So there are many people who think um, he will be an Assyrian. Now, uh, you, have to, you have to go back. Well, where were the Assyrians? Yes. Well, they were uh, a little northeast of present Syria. Okay. And a little bit of western Iraq. In fact, a league of Assyrians started in 1992 in Los Angeles, of all places. <laughs> and then they moved their capital to Kirkuk. I don't know if it's still there because of all the things with uh, ISIS and mm -hmm. uh, even back then with Saddam Hussein. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, that's kind of interesting. Fascinating. That they have uh, revived their presence, you might say. Yes. And yes. have put it right there in the old land of Assyria. Interesting. And I've never made that connection from Micah. That's fascinating. It's mm. really fascinating stuff. You mentioned uh, theologian John Wolverd, and uh, he he describes this time of of, pers of uh, this world dictator uh, being in charge. And he said, Scripture describes the world in an awful climax of wickedness and rebellion against God, headed by a world dictator who is an atheist, a blasphemer, a persecutor of all who are identified with God. Uh, and I know in the book of Revelation, there just seems to be such a graphic description of God pouring out his wrath on the earth and on mankind and what is called the great tribulation. Uh, do we still see God's grace? Do you, can we still see God's grace in this terrible time, timeline of events? Oh, absolutely. We've already mentioned the 144,000 Jewish Billy Graham. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And we think that's in the first half because they are sealed. Yeah. Uh, no one can hurt them. And uh, the first three and a half years of the tribulation, though it's not just peace on earth, goodwill to men, there's still lots of people dying, there's famine, there are yeah. uh, regional wars. Uh, nevertheless, it's a time for evangelism. The two witnesses are uh, leading Jews to Christ. The 144,000 Jews are leading uh, believers to Christ. Mm. And we know they're there because in Revelation 13, he, uh, Antichrist, after declaring himself dictator of the world, he puts the mark of the beast, yeah. the 666, in some way, shape, or form, on people. And if you, if you deny that, he cuts your head off. Well, the only reason to deny it would be if you believe in another god right. like, instead, of, instead of him, namely... Someone like Jesus. Yeah. So that'll be martyrdom, and it talks about the martyrs. Revelation 7, the martyrs cry out, when will you avenge mm. us? Yes, you yes. Know? So these are people who've died for Christ during the tribulation period. Well, they couldn't do that if grace weren't still around and they mm. trusted him. Because right. all the believers before the tribulation, if, if indeed the rapture is pre-tribulational, are gone. Right, So you right. start afresh. And a whole new batch, I don't say batch, but yeah. group of... Uh, uh, of a multitude no, uh, no one can number, it says, from every tongue, tribe, and nation come to believe. And then uh, even at the end, uh, the end of the tribulation is so bad, uh, he says in Matthew 24, 
if he didn't shorten the days, put a time limit on this day of wrath, yeah. no one would be left alive. But in Revelation 14, right at the end, all the people who've not heard the gospel message from a human hear it from an angel. Wow. And the angel goes around preaching the everlasting gospel uh, to give people a chance, even at the very end. Even at the end. Right. And and it's going to be diff- more difficult, I would think, during that seven years of tribulation to hear the gospel uh, because of the work of the Antichrist. I would think he would do everything he can to keep the gospel from being told, even like you say, martyrdom uh, for for many uh, for those believing who are are evangelizing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, he's the. Uh, I I can't enter into his thinking uh, except when I I do see some what I would say, twisted thinking among humans. But he's uh, somehow thinks he can stop the whole program. So <laughs> yes. that's why he's been trying to kill the Jews for, since, seems like, since the inception. Yes, yes. Wow. Well, you know, we mentioned last week that the rapture was not mentioned in the Old Testament. It was just... Uh, uh, was really a, a mystery spoken of only in the New Testament. But uh, we do find references, many references in the Old Testament of the Second Coming, don't we? To the Second Coming. Yes, yeah, to the Second Coming. Which is not the rapture. Right, right. Yeah, we talked about Zechariah 14, where yes. uh, he touches down on the Mount of Olives. Uh, there's an earthquake that renders a split all the way from the Mount of Olives to the Dead Sea. Mm. So that's going west to east right along there. So, Yeah, and we just read one in Micah. Well, exactly, yeah. exactly. About his second coming. Yes. One of my favorites, though, since, since you asked, yes. is uh, Psalm 110. And uh, in that psalm, he talks about his power going out from Zion. So, it, so we're talking about the Messiah, who's going to come back and rule from Jerusalem, Zion, Mount Zion. Mm-hmm. He said that he's talking about Jerusalem. And he says his scepter will go out in the day of his power. And the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. So here he's set up his place of uh, rulership for the millennium in Jerusalem. Then in verse 3 it says, your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. And so that's talking about when he comes back. That's the second coming. You know, he went out as a lamb, he comes back as a lion, right? Yes, yes. So he's come back with a horse, this sword coming out of his mouth, uh, the battle of Armageddon, all that. Uh, But it says, the army that comes with you, as it says in Revelation 19, the saints who want to come back are all volunteers. It's not a conscripted army, no draft. Okay. Just volunteers. And then it says, in the beauties of holiness... From the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. Beautiful picture here because uh, what will the saints look like? What are they wearing? Yeah, the, the robes white and robes, the right robes. White uh-huh. robes, right. So uh, when Joshua crossed the Jordan and went in to capture AI and various cities, who led the march? You remember? It was the priests. Okay. The priests okay. led the way. And what did the priests wear? Rose. White linen, right. And uh, so he says in the beauties of holiness. Mm. So it's another reference to our white robes. Yes. That we don't go forth with uh, bazookas and AK-47s <laughs> and 
assault rifles uh, and all these things, yes. that we actually go forth uh, wearing these white robes. And then it says, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of... So the Lord is looking out at the volunteers for his army, and it looks like the dew, mm. the white robe. There's so many wow, of them. so many that volunteer. <laughs> looks like the dew. Isn't that awesome? Uh, yeah. Wow. That's a beautiful picture. It I love really that. Is. It I really love is. that. Mm. Wow. Well, perhaps the most important purpose in Christ's return is to set up his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. Uh, we'd like to have you talk about the, the millennium in depth. But in closing, what would you say is the purpose for the thousand year reign of Christ before the eternal state begins? Great question. <laughs> It's about a 10-hour answer. (laughs) So just in the few seconds we have, it's the culmination of God's program for human history. Because you remember, uh, God told Adam to have dominion over the earth. Mm -hmm. Now, the word for dominion is kingdom. Yes, yes. Well, he got several chances to do that. I mean, he got another chance, Mm -hmm. and even Noah, and it became clear man wasn't going to do that in his fallen state. So God said, all right... I'll bring in another Adam, and he'll accomplish it. And so that's the second Adam, that's Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. Yeah. So in order to answer the, the whole purpose for the human race, he has to set up that kingdom as a man, not as God. I mean, as a God-man. But, right. Uh, he's got to rule in the midst of people who are flesh and blood in order to answer the questions raised by Satan when he rebelled. Because when Satan rebelled, he opened two character qualities of God to question. One is, who has the right to rule? Yes. Are you sovereign or not? Mm. Secondly, are you worthy of being loved? Oh, wow. So both of those questions are answered through our obedience. Yes. Uh, Deuteronomy 8 and John 14, 21. And uh, so it's of paramount importance, uh, that millennial period. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's part of, of uh, how you explain the the human race is what uh, uh, literary people call the meta-narrative of uh, a piece of literature. It's, it's, the, it's the theme that carries the whole thing forward. Yes. So, yes. I mean, uh, Genesis doesn't begin with the cross. It begins with kingdom. Mm. And the Bible comes full circle back to kingdom. Back to the kingdom. Yeah. That's a taste of what we're... Well, that's going to be an exciting discussion to really dig into Mm -hmm. deeper. And uh, we will have you back uh, to talk about the Millennial Kingdom. So thank you, Dr. Anderson, for helping us to better understand the second coming and the difference in the second coming and the rapture. Those are two events. Uh, How exciting for those of us who believe uh, in Jesus Christ to uh, be part of those who come back in white robes with him, who volunteer, become Amen. part of that picture of dew. Yes. Well, our guest today has been Dr. Dave Anderson. Hopefully we've cleared up any confusion that you've had between the rapture and the second cl- coming. Our prayer is that w- you would seek to learn more uh, through this podcast and through Grace School of Theology. You know, we love receiving your feedback on our podcast Send us questions to make suggestions for program topics. We'd love to hear from you. You can email questions or comments to savinggrace at gsot.edu. And be sure to follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at SavingGraceCast. Have you told others about our podcast? You know, it's a great way to introduce your family, your friends to God's amazing grace. We do thank you for tuning in today. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and it can never be lost. 
You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership. 